0: There's two different ways that this could have come about. It could have come about in the way that we see it on screen where we see Sydney of her own agency and her own desire, like, choose to engage in this act with her boyfriend. Or we could have Wes Craven take two action figures and just smash them
1: together just because she wanted them to. So, some people felt like they were burned, you know, burned once and fool them once. Shame on you know them, or fool them twice. Shame on whatever. <laughs> whatever that. Whatever saying that is. saying. It still took me by surprise because I was just like, "Oh shit!"
0: Yeah. Here's the thing about the thing. The thing by its nature is not anthropomorphic, and that it's not shaped like a human, but it can. Do different things, yes, be, mm-hmm.
1: because that's the thing. it's the thing itself changes? I know, changes. It'd be it. a really fun full episode where it? we just say thing over and over and over again.
0: That's when I have to like step into the film, take Sydney aside, and it's like, now Sydney, something ain't right about that boy. <laughs> something ain't right about that boy. Okay, what well, he just said right now, you need to leave his ass. Okay, something ain't right about him,
2: <laughs> man. If there
0: is, well, <laughs> I need to
2: step if, back if, up. If, if there has ever been a moment that like was asking to get put into the intro for this show, it was that moment right there. <laughs>
0: Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Sam. Yes, there is. An infallible way. They won. What's well, a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. The probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen.
1: Would not happen. You fucking Momo. What's the matter with you? Maybe it was a love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember,
2: I have dreamed of going into space.
1: Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again?
0: The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? I don't remember. I see if he shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter, fucking you know. dog has fucking papers.
1: Over the line! Huh?
0: I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line, that's a foul What happened? Did you, did your balls drop
2: off? <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome into episode 35 of Film Tank. My name is Alex Diekman and on this episode we'll be talking about the 1996 horror comedy thriller, whatever you want to call the genre for it, Scream. The original, not one of the three sequels that came after it. Scream, the musical. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was there actually music on it? No. Oh, I, was I wouldn't put it As past. Say, I mean, that seems like
1: a, one of those off-broad. <laughs> if there was, I would have watched it. Yeah, that would have been good.
2: Uh, the other two voices you can hear in the background: the uh, the usual crew, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hello.
1: Hi.
0: Ooh. No. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, good addition for Toussaint there. <laughs> really, really bringing in the a-game for the intro here on the show. Oh uh, no. I uh, don't know what you're going to say, but that's you can keep it to yourself. Uh before we get into talking about Scream, uh, I think uh these guys had a couple items from uh this week that they wanted to uh, talk about. So let's do a, a little week in review session. Uh, Nick, I know you were very excited about a uh, a television series that uh, premiered its second season uh, earlier this and week. And it's so. weird
1: because I don't watch television, but <laughs> this, this one just kind of came out of nowhere. Well, let's hear about it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding. I am... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I watched the season two premiere of the FX original television program Fargo. And how was it? As the announcer likes to say. Um, and it was fan fucking tastic. It's honestly, this is. It makes me so excited to be in the era of TV that we are because I feel like within the last few years, there's way too many debates about what the golden age of television is and like did it die when Breaking Bad and Mad Men went off the air or whatever, or was it simply just exclusive to the, uh, I think it's the 60s is technically when that f- term first came up or so, maybe the 50s. Anyway, um, but this is the kind of television that I want to see more of, not so much that I want to see another you know, version of Fargo, but um, specifically anthology format because that's what Fargo is doing. And yet still so tonally focused that it feels like it's been on the air forever. Like, it's just amazing when um, the fact that I, you know, I sat down to watch the season two premiere. I personally loved the first season. I thought it was one of the, if not the best show last year. Uh, No, I think it pretty much it was my favorite show last year. Um, And so when you have that kind of anticipation but you also know that it's not going to be the same show like that's a hard hurdle for the audience to like try to warm up to and yet once again this uh, this damn show came back and gave me a season premiere that gave me everything I personally loved about the first season which is just as simple like a great juxtaposition of like horrific violence and yet like small town, you know, uh,
0: weird idiosyncrasies.
1: Yeah, both in humor and drama, like that's just what fuels these characters. Um, but this is a completely new ballgame because it's uh, for anyone who doesn't know this. The new season takes place uh, like thirty years. before prior to the old season because it is actually subtly connected. This is not just a completely new universe. This is the same universe. In fact, there are even certain characters crossovers. They're just 30 years younger so they're played by different actors Ooh, and such. Okay. And with this new era because it takes place in 1979 we also have new filmmaking techniques. There were uh, split screen. There were musical montages and those kind of things were not present in the first seasons. Okay. So it's like it actually adapts to whatever era it is replicating. in opened up with a uh a great uh first it's so bizarre and that's what i love about the show but first it opened up with a like this weird breaking the fourth wall of a movie a fake movie i believe that ronald reagan starred in because he was just an up-and-coming mm-hmm. at that point and then it moved into like because it doesn't have its own main title sequence so it just does whatever it wants then it moved into um some prejudicial speeches that were happening at the time. Like it just, it's so hard to explain what makes it good because it is so idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. But, um, I will say this, I was not disappointed by this season. And I'm so surprised that by the time I finished this episode, I am just in- invested in the season as I was, uh, When I first left the show, you know, like it, all that, all that this episode had to do was somehow get me back on board with a whole new story and a whole new characters. And the fact that it did that, and yet also surprised me in ways that I never thought it could and would, uh, that's, that's all I could ask for it. So I... I highly recommend that anybody who wants to see a great example of like anthology storytelling should definitely start from the beginning, because not that you can't start with this, but I think you'll have a deeper appreciation for like what the changes that were made from season one to season two, even just aesthetically.
2: Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> you're saying that the... Uh the season two premiere of Fargo was a tidbit better than the season two premiere of True Detective.
1: I didn't watch the season two uh, premiere of True Detective, so I personally can't give that opinion. But from what I understand of the season two premiere of True Detective... Stop and that, laughing every time you say it. <laughs> I was not a fan of that show, uh, even of the first season, personally. But yes, like it. this is a show that came back completely confident in this new story, and I feel like it was confident in a way that... It was backing up. Like, it it had the money to match its bet, you know.
2: So, a couple of questions I have. First and foremost, uh, how many episodes will be on this season? Do you know?
1: I'm 99.9% sure it's another 10-episode season, which is what the first one was. And that's just about right, too, because... Anything shorter than that, and I don't feel like we get enough to really be able to call it a complete story. Like Because both seasons deal with very, I would say, intricate stories. I mean, there are like four or five different facets to the central crime that's always perpetrated. Uh,
2: the other question I had for you is with anthology series, which they seem to be, I, I don't want to say trendy now, but they seem to be a lot more... Popular than they were years ago. I mean, I I didn't even think you would see true anthology series in in terms of like normal rotations of television shows up until a few years ago.
1: Well, it depends what you're talking about because. Uh, episode anthology series used to be the biggest thing ever because that's of course.
2: Well, but but true series where the but season the, anthology. Yeah, that's stories. what I, I guess I was yes. getting at more. No,
1: just because those, those are kind of we call them both anthology series. Mm-hmm. So no, yeah, seasonal anthology series. That's definitely a new recent trend. I would say jump started by Ryan Murphy with his American Horror Story uh, mm-hmm. series. That's kind of what propelled this whole new recent trend. It's definitely something that has been done before. It's just not really by America, uh, the uh, Britain kind of almost accidentally did this with a lot of their shows because they don't keep their shows on for very long to begin with and sometimes just due to the fact that like they don't it's not like in America where you like you, you really get committed to like playing this character and you just foresee that you'll be playing it for as long as you can so a good example of like in Britain uh, the sitcom Blackadder uh, that was a show that it was a sitcom that did historical revisionism so it's like the first season is set during like the middle ages and it tells a six episode story that post it, a lot of the folklore of that. And when you go to the second season, They're all completely different characters, but they're played by the same cast members. Oh, and now it jumps from that to like Elizabethan time, and jumps from that to Mm. uh, something else. And then the fourth and final series was like World War Two. So I mean, it really jumps around, but they don't connect to each other other than the lineage of the Blackadder family, whatever. Um, But that's a good example of like a show that was changing it up season to season, and effectively like they were completely different. Like the first season of that show, in my opinion, is awful, and then they kind of, in my opinion, course corrected certain things that made it better but that's something yeah that more like i would say uh more foreign countries were doing that we were not uh but ever since ryan murphy kind of jump-started it, it seems like this is now going to be a new thing well
2: and it really seems to me like it's an interesting genre because even though we haven't really seen it yet where a, a series could even like take a whole year off to have a season off This is something where people won't be pining to know what happened next is next with Tony Soprano or something like that, where since pretty much the entire show, other than sort of what is connecting the seasons together, which isn't anything really involving the story. Uh, it, it could take time to really have a really good, instead of just forcing another
1: season down everyone's throat. Absolutely, especially when you have these shows, like, I'll even bring it back up, True Detective and Fargo are more similar than even people realize, because also, both of those sh- shows are being pretty much, I would say, dominated by a singular voice, which in uh, True Detective's case is Nick Pizzolatto, or what I believe that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of Fargo, it's Noah Hawley, and like both of them are like almost all, I would say, writing, if not all of the scripts for every episode, almost all of them, and so it's kind of like when you when when you're when you're basically asking the same creator to like come up with a different show you know every year and yet somehow still meet expectations like that's a lot of pressure to live up to and so therefore I, I agree with you in the sense that wrapping up a story at the end of each season makes it easier for us to wait because Fargo took over a year off like I think it's like it came last year during like this maybe during the Mm spring-ish, and now it's coming back this year during the fall.
2: Well, and also, too, uh, that's another thing. With True Detective, I I know, I believe, they had the same director for each episode in both The the first and the second season. Yes.
1: Well... The first season they had Carry uh, Carry Fukunaga. That's uh, correct. Yes. Uh, do the then I believe there was a falling out between him and Nick because he was going to come back. Yes. For maybe even just one or two episodes, but he didn't even do that. I don't think. Uh,
2: Justin Lin directed the first two episodes, yeah, and right. uh, John Crowley directed the last six. So. Okay,
1: because I knew that was the thing. Was I knew believe I believe Justin Lin was a replacement for Kerry. Uh, Fukunaga Okay, um, and that's why he probably only did two uh, so to speak that and he was a little busy with those uh, first two
2: episodes were really bad <laughs> but was it because of the direction
1: probably not yeah, I was gonna say the writing was really bad as you yeah. as you may or may not know <laughs> yeah so so no I absolutely loved Fargo season two premiere and it's like it's just amazing how much I would say good will and faith that this one episode has basically earned from me for the entire
2: season No. Well, um, yeah, I hope to watch the series sometime, and I'm planning on trying to watch at least the first season here soon so I can then catch up on the second season to be ready next year or
1: even further down the road if that uh, comes to pass. Yep. I was going to mention one other thing. Okay. Uh, a film that I watched recently uh, is called A Star is Born, and a star is Judy Garland. I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but she played a character named Dorothy in a movie called The Wizard of Oz. I've heard of it. She also had some uh, personal life things happen with her. She, as does every human being um, well, in, uh, on the planet. <laughs> that is true, but
2: more, more noteworthy than uh, every star from that time. That is also true. Okay.
1: Um, But we're here to talk about her movie. (laughs) Thanks, Nick. So uh, A Star is Born is I've been on a musical kick recently. I've been watching a lot of Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, uh, just uh, others, even uh, some of the the later studio uh, musicals like, uh, like Little Shop of Horrors and stuff like that. I've just been really eating all that shit up. And I've been meaning to watch A Star is Born, and I finally got around to it. It is three hours long, so that's that's why I was kind of putting it off for a little while. But um, I'm very upset that I put it off as long as I did, because this is... I had a rule when I started 2015 in my in, in my cinematic uh, journey, so to speak, that this was going to be the year that I was going to initiate a new rule, which was that I was not going to give a five-star rating to any film that I was watching for the first time. Because I think the more I started to think about that, you know, like the more I started to realize that, like, even some of my favorite films didn't even start out as five stars right away, so it's like, if I liked it that much, I'll re-watch it, of course. And so I broke my rule, finally, and October because I gave it five stars off the bat and I I feel no shame in doing that because this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my entire life it is from every aspect of it it is like it is shot in cinemascope so of course I was eating up the cinematography but not in the way that I would say a lot of directors were utilizing uh color and cinemascope of that era, which was primarily for like um like western and such like like look at the landscape like you could, like this was actually a lot of like intimate close ups in cinemascope, and like it really it kind of almost had like a birdman feeling of like because a lot of like especially the first twenty minutes that takes place at this like Hollywood gala where um these performances are happening, and the camera's moving from the backstage to back in front of the curtain back you know whatever not all in one take but because it actually looks like it's all being coordinated uh and being directed that it's not like they're just stopping when the camera's off or anything like that and to, so to use cinemascope in this nature instead of from like just for like establishing shots um, it just gave it a very weird like almost like literally like a closer look at this kind of thing from that era that I've just never seen before. I thought I thought that aspect was fantastic. Uh, the story, though, and the, the script and the acting, the performances between uh, Judy Garland and James Mason, because it is a love story, was just uh, I would say nothing short of amazing. It it's a very simple love story in the sense that Judy Garland is a up and coming you know kind of star. James Mason plays an alcoholic kind of washed up star on the, his way out of you know Hollywood and whatnot. And the two almost like kind of trade their places because he kind of realized that he's like before he gets the door slammed on him, he can at least get her through the door type you know whatever. Mm. But of course they also fall in love because that's what happens in the movie but it never feels i would say cliche, because the movie i will say for being of its era and of the genre which being a musical it goes into some very dark and i would say like realistic places this is not how you think a movie from this era would end or uh you know turn out this is like how half the time it sadly actually plays out and there are a lot of scenes that like like basically broke my heart and just like shattered it into a million pieces. And it's, it's it's like a three hour epic of intimate proportions. Like it is just so wonderfully nuanced for being, you know, from its era and whatnot. And it it also kind of works as like a Hollywood satire, but it's not, it's not really like a laugh out loud comedy, but it has a lot to say about like what the Hollywood system will do to people who uh, I would say like choose to enter it, so to speak.
2: The way you're describing it, this sounds like a a really kind of unusual
1: mixed genre musical. Oh I mean, yeah, no, it's yeah. that's that's why I pretty much I think I was blown away by it because I genuinely I found one scene funny, I found another scene like utterly devastating. I found some of the musical numbers to be just a f- delight, and yet I found another musical number to be you know very depressing. I mean, it doesn't it, it doesn't it knows exactly what it is, so I never thought that that was a bad thing. Like it it when it goes from one scene to another, it is. I would say it has it under complete control, and it all feels very organic. But for me, like I got everything I ever want from any movie, like from this movie, all in one.
2: Well, and I, I was just going to say, um, when, when, when we talk about films that are really good at doing a lot of different things, that doesn't necessarily mean that a film is going to be good, but I feel like a lot of my favorite films... I get different emotions from them and they really sort of mix... I mean, we just talked last week about my favorite film ever, Casino, yeah. where that's obviously a gangster film that has a lot of serious storylines and crazy gangster shit happening in it, but it also is
1: a very funny film. Yeah, no, and, uh, and it doesn't and, just get like complacent and just being the genre that it was sold at. It,
2: well, and I, I think that is something that, that really that really draws me in for films in terms of trying to do different things and change it up throughout the film and doing it well and it really sounds like uh the uh, film you're uh, talking about which i'm blanking on the name right now because i'm a star asshole. is born it really sounds like a star is born does that and then that's um you know that's something that is great
1: absolutely and um one other note i wanted to add is um there is a two things one there are there's one scene that i absolutely love and it's i'm not going to necessarily describe exactly what happens in it because i think it of course if you haven't seen it you should go watch it and see for yourself but there's one scene where i felt like that was kind of the make or break point for me where it was heading in the most cliched i would say uh alcoholic storyline direction and then the movie, once again, pulled the rug out from under myself, because I had my own expectations. And what is funny is that it ends up delivering what I thought it would, but not in the way I thought it would. And that's what made it, like, 20 times more complex than I was expecting. Hmm. And the scene itself, just in case people want to watch it and just understand what I'm talking about, happens when her character, if it's not really spoiler, because... It's just – that's not – it's beside the point of the movie, but she – her character wins an Oscar at some point, and she has to go and give her acceptance speech, and her lover, the alcoholic, is, uh, let's say – not very sober while she goes up there to get it and may or may not, you know, cause a disturbance during the scene. Ooh. Now, there's more to it than that. And the the direction the scene took is, it's basically, I was surprised that it, like, broke my heart for a different reason than I thought it would initially. Uh, and the other thing, and I think this scene, or that, this film has one of the greatest final lines ever uttered in a movie because when uh, the person delivers it in the context that they are delivering it and... Um, after what has just happened prior to it, it is just the most like bitter, sweetly ambiguous line ever like when I watched it, I felt uncomfortable because I couldn't tell whether I should be happy or not like it's just it really it really cut me deep i, I which sounds like I'm joking, but I was not expecting uh, that final line to be like like. The person says it, and then it cuts to the credits, and I was like, well, shit, that's a note to end on, because I just have no idea whether I should feel good about myself or not. So (laughs) I I think it's one of the greatest uh, cinematic uh, finales ever made it.
2: Okay, well, high praise from Nick for A Star is Born. Yeah. uh... Is it is this a, a film you can pretty easily get your hands on or
1: not? It's a good question. I personally, like it's definitely available. Like if you were to go to like a library or something, if not like the DVD or something is not in circulation. Okay, but I don't think it's available like on Netflix or anything. Yeah,
2: I, w- I was meaning more if uh, you yeah, wanted to yes.
1: find this, could you? Yes, you can. Especially if you just go to like a library. The other thing I should point out since we're talking about it, I personally watched the three-hour uh, reconstructed version because there was about twenty to twenty. 25 minutes of footage that was lost by the studio, oh. purposely cut out because they thought it was boring, but in that era, it meant it was actually probably good stuff, and it was character detailed, and that's why I ended up watching this version. What's unique about it, though, and might put some viewers off, is they could not actually get footage, of, like the footage itself, of what they wanted, but they had still images taken during the filming of these scenes, and they also had the audio recording. So during these scenes in which... um. They're displaying the lost footage, it will not like signify. It'll just literally all of a sudden cut to still images of like what the scene would have looked like with the audio running over it. And then the camera kind of like pans and scans on the images themselves to show you who's talking. Mm. Now, it's a very minor percentage. I mean, it's a three hour film and it probably does it for like 10. 20 minutes total and not all at the same time so um if you're if you're some reason wary of that look for the two and a half hour version but i truly do think that uh some of the details uh added in the reconstruction version go a long way into humanizing both characters
2: (laughs) i don't know i'm I'm, I, i don't know why i just can't get out of my mind uh the uh the scene in Planet Terror where they have the real missing and <laughs> it goes into the uh, the barn on fire. Yeah. Like, so if this part was missing, would it go from something to something totally different? <laughs> no, and you know,
1: I, no. But I completely understand. <laughs> that's what that's a great uh, scene in that movie. <laughs> um, but the reason why I was not put off by it, besides the fact that I was just kind of fascinated by it in general just to see what a studio these days would try to do to combat things like that, is that I actually think it fit the tone of the film because when it switches over, it almost turns into like. This this old timey like Ken Burns documentary, you know because the camera you know literally like panning across the picture and so it almost feels like like almost all of this entire like film like it's 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 a relic of another age, and like these were almost like memories that they're they're remembering, so I'm not saying it's not clumsy because it is i mean it you know you go from live action movie making to you know pictures but there's there's something about it that I thought was very entrancing and it and it worked for me in a way that I was not expecting. But if you're going to be put off by that, look for the two and a half hour version.
2: Okay, well, that was our uh, episode with uh, Nick doing his weekend review.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's all. I'll you see need. you guys later. No, that was that
2: was good. You, you provided good content. That's uh, always what we're looking for. Well, thank you, Tucson. We're going to invite you back into the episode now and <laughs> well, I can come uh, back in the room. Cool. <laughs> uh, allow you uh, to uh, give your opinion now. Actually, no. What uh, what were you watching this last uh, week, Tucson? When give you your weekend
0: review? Okay. Um, I rewatched two of my favorite films with uh, with Nick. Oh, that's right. uh, Earlier this week, and I'm going to talk about one of them, Uh, the 1982. Well, before
1: you say what that one is, tell the viewers what the other. I just, I just think people might be.
0: What were the films? Well,
1: yeah, like what was the other one that you're not going to talk about? Well, so that way, the other
0: one that I that we watched first was 2006's uh, Paprika by Satoshi Satoshi Kon, who is one of my absolute favorite animators and directors, and that's probably my favorite film of his i just so.
1: know if i was a listener and i heard you say that and then i didn't get to know what the other film is i would have like you know sent you an angry email so i was just saving you
2: well thanks man yeah um, yeah nick like sent me a random text last week and and i asked him if he could do something one day he's like oh i'm going to see a movie and i so i can i'm like well you have to tell me what movie you're going to see this is <laughs> bullshit i know <laughs> i'm not
0: right. going
1: to be going with you but i, I need to know
0: <laughs> i need to know man for real though i, I, I that's i think why? Just to piss them off?
1: Just no. Just to see if you would like ask because you know I just need validation that you care about me, Alex. Aww.
2: Tucson, go ahead and uh, talk a little more about the other film. Okay, going to so mention. the other film
0: uh, that we watched was 1982. Um, not the film's not called 1982. It's like no, John it Carpenter's 1985. 19, John Carpenter's 1982 classic horror film, The Thing, which is one of my absolute favorite films of all time. Aside from just being a horror film, I think it's excellently shot. I think it's um, a very tight script. I love um, just the location where it's filmed. The special effects are legendary, and they are definitely a hallmark even to this day um, for special effects. Physical, that is. And, yeah, it's just a film that I can constantly go back to and thoroughly enjoy every single time. And always find new ways to, like pick it apart and enjoy the little things like even on this uh this rewatch with you nick um i've already seen the film like prior like five times and just with your audio setup and just like the way that yours was i was noticing little um little details everywhere like a billy holiday song like playing in the background and all all types of other like scuffling stuff and it 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 was great it was a great film
1: on a technical level like i'm not the biggest horror fan. Yeah, I'm not a horror fan in general, to so to speak. Even though some of my favorite movies are horror movies, but um, so that's why I haven't gotten around to mm-hmm. watching the thing until this week. And I have to admit that I, I liked it more than I thought I did. And part of that was because of his technical like mas- just master like both of how it shot this movie and mm-hmm. like because um, when you think about it, it's a very claustrophobic movie, but it never feels that way because uh, other than like just the paranoia kind of closing in, but the way it kind of goes from Room to room in this ice station. like It doesn't feel like they're trapped because they're in this base. It feels like they're trapped because once they get out of the base, there's nowhere else for them to go. You yeah, know? And I love the way that the film uh, conveys that. But like you said also, the practical effects, I was pretty much blown away by... Um, I would say every time the quote-unquote thing Mm -hmm. appeared because it wasn't even just the fact that the effects are so good, but also that there's a different variation of it each time. Like Mm -hmm. It it doesn't manifest itself the same way. So not only did they create these amazing special effects, but they also did it like 10 different times and went all out each time.
0: This is definitely a film that I want to talk about um, and give its own standalone episode just because I think that it definitely deserves it. And going back to what you are talking about, just for the fact that, um, when they got outside of the the actual like ice station, that they're really more trapped not only by the physical, but even like, the psychological conditions of like where they're actually in. Um, yeah, the it, there's always so many fun little asides and like facts about this film, specifically about the practical special effects, which is the guy who was behind like all of those was like a 17 year old like wonder kid with uh with special effects, and they didn't finish those. Until right up until the premiere of the film, and he had to be rushed to a hospital because he was so engrossed in it, it like took a toll on his physical, like, well being. And that film. Would lose to ET. <laughs> yeah, that
1: is that is true. Yeah, and well, I mean, like I told Toussaint, the thing didn't have a glowing finger, so I, no, it didn't. You put that in your movie, you're going to win special effects. God. So
2: since I have never seen the thing, which uh, I told Toussaint earlier, and he almost had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, uh, and also I really don't know much about this the uh, practical effects from this film. When you say talk about how great they are, and I, I really don't have anything to to say. Oh, are they like this? Because I really don't know. Are, are they like right up there with the best practical effects that were used by films of all time? Like they're, are, are,
0: are, they're not right up to the best practical effects. They are the yeah, best practical say, special effects. It is pretty. Jesus wept. Freaking. That's how, how good they are.
1: Like especially because if I will say like when when one like iteration of the thing would appear. Like, at first I was just blown away because I'm just so used to CGI that I'm like, oh my god, like, because I get scared just because of, like, you know, it's really there and it's really in that room. And then all of a sudden it'll be in the state that it's in and yet still be able to fluidly move in whatever way that the, the script calls it for, whether it's just a very simple, like, swing shot out the room or even, like, a... Like there, there are things that I like. Okay, I'll just spoil it because it's technically an old movie, but I'm not spoiling like the outcome. Scott, yeah. But uh, the the scene in which the guy's chest collapse, which is like almost like the inverse of the Alien mm-hmm. uh, uh, chest burster. Like when that happened, like I genuinely. Like I wanted to like almost like look underneath my TV to see like how they were doing that like and you just, and you
0: knew you, yeah, and you were I knew actually was, aware that that was yeah, coming because I
1: saw a picture of it. and I even asked you, I'm like, wait, was this like a behind the scenes photo of it or is this? And then you were just like ignoring me because yeah. you wanted me to watch it or whatever. Yeah. And yet, so like I should have known it was coming. And because of how well and how fluid the movement was, it still took me by surprise because I was just like, oh shit!
2: Yeah. Now going a little further into that, you're talking about the great special effects in this film um in the great practical effects too as well uh, can you just be a little a little more disc- on exactly what in terms of practical effects cuz again I have no base for the what c- I what about creature bad. design it's, it's
0: creature design it's 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 the movement of the the fluidity of the movement of this actual thing like I don't know how they actually achieve this with the technology that okay, they have so the let's time. Let's this is a very
1: them. crazy metaphor i think i, I got it yeah Personally, unless you want to clarify your I question. I was just
2: going to ask yes. really quickly if I'm going to try to compare it something, since you brought up Alien. Mm-hmm. If you compare the character or the creature creation to the Xenomorph from oh, it's Alien. it's not even close. Okay. I even, yeah
1: okay. I think Alien is personally a film, a superior film for me. Like, as far mm. as I like that film better. Okay. But when you're actually comparing, like, when, that, when the Xenomorph is on screen when John Carpenter's The Thing is on screen, like – like I, I i do not want to be in the same room as john carpenter's the thing whereas you know Big xenomorph just looks like a
2: no no that's kind of more, suit. more where yeah. where i was going with that in terms of are we talking about like the movements that they have or the way they're able to to move the actual the thing around or are we talking about here's, the appearance of it here's it, the thing
1: I would about it's a gross mixture of both it's, okay
0: here's the thing about the thing and i know that you haven't seen <laughs> it um The thing by its nature is not anthropomorphic in that it's not shaped like a human, but it can do different things. Yes. It's like...
1: When it's in its, like, resting state, so to speak, mm-hmm. because that's the thing, is the thing itself changes, I It's changes. It be it... a
2: really fun full episode what where we just say great. thing over and over <laughs> and over again.
1: For, okay, since you haven't seen the thing, I will explain the general concept, which is that there is a alien parasite in this ice station, and he takes the form of the other humans. So the thing itself could be one of them at a certain point. I'm already intrigued. Yeah, and so, but when it's not, and it's in between, which happens quite a bit mm-hmm. and like they're trying to get it or whatever and they've, they've outsmarted it to the point of they realize if not so and so in the room and then it becomes its natural state because it also still doesn't have a like well it doesn't have a natural state it it looks like it's like almost like a different creature each time, even though you can totally tell that it's still the same like you know DNA and my molecular makeup or whatever yeah. you want to call it but here's a good example of like how I feel about the thing like this does for horror what like the muppets do for like felt puppets because when I watch the muppets like i I could see strings in the Muppets, and yet I still just never like personally break that illusion of like, no, those puppets are really fucking singing to me, and it's beautiful. Like, I just get into it. Whereas and this is much better than like that. You just not like you're seeing strings or anything like that. But I never once thought I was watching a practical effect. I genuinely thought I was watching this horrible alien like terrorize these actors and this film crew, and hmm. you know. So it's 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 fantastic. Um, I personally did not love it as much as Toussaint did. Mm. But the, the special effects are hands down definitely like the best I maybe have ever seen in any movie.
0: Yep, I would definitely recommend it um every day.
2: It's very good. I
1: I liked it a lot.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Someday I'll have to get my shit together and watch this movie. We're doing an
0: episode on it eventually someday. <laughs>
2: Alright All right. well I will put a bar- put here. a put a bookmark in it and remember that. <laughs> put a bookmark. Put a bookmark. Put a, a pin in it. it. Oh dear. <sighs> So this uh, this week, uh, I really didn't watch uh, that many films uh, other than the uh, film we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. Uh, I did, however, watch the uh, second episode of uh, the HBO original series, The Leftovers, which I had watched the, uh, the, I guess I should say, the second episode of the second season uh, as uh, the uh, first episode uh, in the second season premiered a couple weeks ago. Uh, I watched the first season, and uh, overall, it was a show that I probably wouldn't have sat down and watched if it wasn't for Nick uh, suggesting that I, I take a look at it. And uh, although I, I've I've had quite a few of shows that Nick has uh, mentioned to me that I should maybe start watching, and I have uh, I've gotten away from them pretty quickly. Uh, this show actually did stick through the first season, and I have already watched uh, the first two episodes. And I have to say,
1: I am right on board again. I which best surprises me, not okay. so much that you like it, but I just I think it's funny that out of all the things I've recommended <laughs> to you, like that this is the one that you've stuck with, which I'm very happy because I think it's fantastic. Uh but yeah, so you like the first two episodes? Yeah,
2: I'm 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 intrigued. I I feel like the leftovers is a little weird because it's it's a hard show to get a read on early in both of the seasons I had with it. It was. I guess it wasn't as hard in the first season because it's completely new and we're learning yeah. about the characters. It feels natural to be disoriented. That's true. Yeah. But now that we're in the second season, and honestly, there has been major changes that have been made to the show. They, they've they moved to a completely different location than where the first season took place. And only a handful of the characters from the first season have made it to this second season. So it's it's it's... Very much the same show, but it's uh, it's, it's it is quite different than uh, in in terms of setting and in terms of uh, the characters in it oh, yeah. in the first season. And I I just really not quite sure how to feel about it yet. All, other than I really did like the first two episodes, and I'm intrigued where it's going. But I feel like it's a very um, interesting setup that I, I really won't know how to feel about until the season's completely over. Which I feel like you just you. I guess you could say that about most other television shows but I feel like this more than other TV shows I've sat down and watched were at least live instead of watching them previously and marathoning episodes. I just really just don't know how to feel about this season even though I think it's going to be good
1: yeah no for sure I think when you were talking about the change of location like that also is directly affecting I wouldn't say the tone because it is a very I mean it's the same show but just looking at like the Texas landscape compared to like the New York you know suburbs Mm -hmm. where they were living like the color palette has kind of changed from like blue to orange you know and so it, it almost has like a different spin on the same like ennui that we've been tracking because it's like they think that they've found finally peace and of course we've seen kb before and we've seen (laughs) scenes of one of the leftovers before so we know that's not true yeah but it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for them to realize that as well it's also very interesting because
2: i feel like every single character on the show um is completely different and i feel like it's something that you just don't get out of because even though there are families and there are groups, and, and that is very important in The Leftovers, especially in season one, and it's kind of hard to get a read on it, but I can assume we're going to get similar things happening in this season, where pretty much everybody was split up into different groups, and then there were subgroups of the bigger groups, even if they weren't formal groups. So there was a lot of different people who were put together but based on their beliefs or or things that were happening in their lives or whatever, what have you. And I I just feel like, even with that, um, every individual character is so different on the show... And it really brings um, very interesting TV to the table because it's really hard to gather what each character's motivations are in every single scene going from scene to scene.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. There's a, it's kind of a random detour, but there's a kind of like an unwritten rule of sitcom writing. And I know that seems like another connect to what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. I, I will in a minute. Huh. Uh, but the rule states that, like, if you were to white out, the, like, if you look at the script for an, uh, an episode of a sitcom, you know you have a good comedy if you are able to white out the character names and still be able to tell who is speaking at all times because everybody should have a different comedic relationship with each other and i always see that brought up with you know sitcoms and comedies i think the leftovers is a good example of a drama that also works under that type of script writing where if i were you know if i were to close my eyes and not just because i could hear the voice but if i just get these lines i should still be able to kind of know who's speaking simply by the virtue of how well they define these characters and how, I would say, different they all, like interact with each other some people have like you said they they kind of faction off into groups some people are related to each other through religion some people are related to each other through mental illness you know and so because of that i, I think the leftovers is doing a terrific job of like both defining as characters and also defining them uh individually like separate from one another
2: yeah and it, it's it's been honestly made for really really great tv so far through the first uh I guess it's been 12 episodes now with the uh, the two episodes I think there were 10 in the first season yep. and uh I'm I'm intrigued going forward uh I do have the one thought uh and I've had these this sort of seems sort of thought throughout uh the the series so far but every episode that moves forward and uh events that happen in every episode pretty much uh, has got me thinking this and I, I I don't think this has happened yet because honestly it's not a popular enough show to really Uh, lend itself to this, but I feel like The Leftovers is just waiting there for there to be a million different fan theories about almost every event that happens on the show, and uh, it's just because it is not like a Breaking Bad or like Lost was, where it's sort of giving itself to people talking about the different things. It's such a Not that people don't watch it, but it's such a smaller show right now that there just isn't that large group of people who have different theories about what's happening on it.
1: Its tone is so specific that only a select group of people are truly going to—I won't even say appreciate it, because I don't want to say that if you don't like it, then— you know, then you're not, you're not, you're with us or against us or something like that. But it is very specific. It's not that serious, man. This is yeah. television. <laughs> got deep, man. I, I, I said I, I, I'm not trying to say that. Some
0: invasion of the body snatcher shit over here. <laughs> yeah, I got
1: Nazi propaganda happening from Nicholas. <laughs> I just said I don't want to go down that alley. You're, you're with monster. us or you're against us, oh you're a <laughs> You know what? It's like you guys aren't even listening. Okay, but what I'm trying to say is separate from that idea is that I think that this is such a specific show, like only one out of every five people you recommend this to will actually like it because mm-hmm. of what it's doing it can be very off-putting both in its bleak tone and not everybody obviously wants to watch a lot of, Now, I will say season one had a lot more of this than so far season two, but we might just be heading in that direction, uh, but both in its very bleak tone and also in its uh, Uh, very almost opaque nature in approach to like uh, typical storytelling because it it almost presents questions that, in my opinion, are never going to be answered. And I won't say should or should not be answered, but that it should not be the appeal of the show, so to speak.
2: I suppose, but I feel like there are so many different things that could be happening that I feel like this this show would create questions that people would have. And because every single person has their brain works in different ways uh it would create different thought processes with with uh, each individual person and i know talking with you you and i have had different i know you're uh, either with
1: me or you're against me <laughs> alex
2: yep and I, I know, Nick, you, you've you tried to at least so far take everything with the show at face value where I've already tried to make some leaps on certain things. And we, we won't get into specifics because it's, you know, if you don't know anything about it. It's going
1: to sound like gibberish.
2: Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, there are so many little things that happen in the show. Uh, and it's just um, I think it's just very interesting. And, and I, I do wish more people watched it just for the sole fact that I, I, I would like having conversations with more people about the show
1: people that aren't me
2: <laughs> well no I, I don't mind that either but that's what i'm saying like, i'm reading between my lines alex well that's you're just in here anything i just said where i just said oh, kinda every, like
1: 20 seconds ago when well, for, you guys came after me yeah oh for fuck's sake man. pew pew yeah that was me firing off pistol guns from my fingers
0: i know we
2: know <laughs> okay well you just missed what i said but that's okay that's fine <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm so sorry then Okay.
2: What no, when I was saying that <laughs> different people have different thought processes thought processes, pardon me, uh, that it would be awesome to get different people's perspective on the show. And I don't think enough people, especially enough of just casual TV viewers will sit down and watch the entire series that you'll be able to have that sort of conversation like happened with Lost or
1: something like that. Agreed, yes. Okay. And I also think part of that is not simply because of the leftovers, but it's funny that you mentioned Lost and this is a whole other conversation. So <laughs> I, I don't want to open up a can of worms, <laughs> but I think it's interesting that you just ended it almost with Lost because I feel like Lost was the creation and the destroying of... These kind of fandoms of like, not that they don't exist, because they absolutely do. You, you, there was a lot of crazy people that watched Mad Men and mm-hmm. were like, "Oh, she wore that shirt. That means Charlie Manson's going to kill her in the next season." <laughs> no, seriously, these, these were legitimate theories. <laughs> hmm. um, and, uh, but I think Lost is actually the very reason why we don't see people flocking to this kind of storytelling as much anymore, because some people felt like they were burned, you know, burned once and fool them once. Shame on you know them, or fool them twice. Shame on. Whatever, I'm, <laughs> whatever that whatever saying that is. saying is, you know what I'm saying. It's fine. So anyway, I just think that's kind of funny that it's both the birth of a lot of shows trying to imitate Lost, and yet also the idea of uh, of people not responding well to these kind of almost mystery driven narratives. Well,
2: yeah. it's also weird, and this really has nothing to do with the content, the leftovers, but it really seems that HBO can only support one enormous series at a time. Yeah. They have Game of Thrones now, and they have yeah. lots of other series, and they're just not going to get more popular than they are at this time. Amazing,
1: considering HBO used to be like the place to have all the series. I mean, at one point, I want to say they had Sex and the City, The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, and The Wire, and Deadwood, maybe on it, all, either all at once or within the same span of a year or something mm-hmm. like that. Like to think of a network getting all of those shows to themselves, it's insane. And like you said, you compare that to today's HBO and it's like... uh nope we just have this one titan of a show that we'll you know promote the shit out of and uh, then the rest we'll just cancel after <laughs> two seasons and, but we'll give it a movie because they I will admit they're being weirdly like they learned from Deadwood because they, they're they giving a movie to Looking They, you know that guy canceled yeah. and they're going to let them wrap that up they gave a movie to Hello Ladies for some yeah, reason I don't, I, mean, I don't know why that
2: wasn't episode. so yeah movie. and yeah.
1: they let uh, David Simon come back for a four episode uh, season of Treme just to finish up his story so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're being a little more generous these days. But uh yeah, no, they only have like one flagship show at a time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well we'll we'll have to see going forward what happens with the leftovers and uh HBO too is uh, I'm a big fan of their uh their programming. So uh going forward we'll see what happens with them and uh we'll see. Maybe someday the leftovers will become uh more popular and I, I hope it stays somewhat popular because I'd like to see At least, uh, you know, a solid four-season run of the show.
1: I definitely, it doesn't mean I will for sure like it, because this has got a show where it could do something, I think, you'd even agree that would piss myself off sure. or piss you off. You know, like it, it hasn't settled down into one thing. So just they,
2: the, the leftovers had a character in the first season. That was honestly one of the worst storylines
1: I can think of in the show. I've watched. So. Yeah. No, the, the Holy Wayne. Yes. yes, I agree. And I thought that was stupid. And, um, but so it's like not so much that I, it's not because I have so much faith in where this is going, but I definitely, no matter what, want them to be able to end it on their terms, just so that way I can at least see what they quote unquote, you know, we're working towards all this time what, for better or worse.
2: Agreed. All right. Well, that was our uh, week in review. And uh, before we move on to scream, uh, I wanted to to throw out kind of a, a general question here because we're in October. We're, we're right in the middle of October too. So we're, we're in the heart of horror movie season and uh, we're going to have a couple more horror movie episodes coming up in the next uh, couple weeks. But I, I guess I wanted to get everybody's opinion on on the horror genre and and really what they like about it because the horror genre is such a specific genre it's not uh, it's not like comedy it's not like drama it's not like um action movies where you can have legions of fans that like those films for one specific reason horror genre is such a specific genre and it, it's um it's it's a it, it's a weird sort of grouping of films uh, that is very specific and has very uh, demanding and uh, very highly invested fans in terms of people who really like horror films. And um, I I know at least two of the panelists out of the three of us aren't really huge horror film fans, but I know we both like um, some horror films for different reasons. So I just wanted to throw it out there and see kind of what happens and what sticks of of what horror films really mean to you guys and and what kind of horror uh, you really gravitate towards
1: why do you go first since okay. you're kind of the resident since, since
2: you're the other out of the two uh, yes. that, that enjoys really en- enjoys the horror genre yeah. and you're you're the one person out of the three of us that that uh you know will really have a lot to say about what you really like about horror.
0: Okay, sounds good. Um I've, I think I've already mentioned before like even as far back as like my first episode like what kind of films I watch is that I'm really I I'm a latecomer to the horror genre. I come to horror via like science fiction which is why John Carpenter's the thing resonates so much with me because it's both of those things um i mostly gravitate towards the, the area of like psychological horror and if not that then sometimes just like supernatural i'm not really a big fan of like gore in general i i i used to be absolutely terrified of of horror films like wow. i i can remember um being very very young and being tricked by my father into watching the opening scene of scream 2 <laughs> and literally turning back on him and saying scream 2 and my mouth just agape and then running up the stairs <laughs> away from the away from the the television yeah
1: tales from tucson
0: yeah i couldn't even watch like x files and now i just totally eat all that shit up just because i have the the the, the benefit of hindsight and being older and Dude, just enjoying I, these things for what I, they are. I,
2: I uh, caught like three minutes of Hellraiser on
1: uh, TV one time
2: Fuck, when I was a man. little kid. Dude. And that was fucking horrifying. Yeah, that fucked you up. scarred for life. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, um, I once watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when I was a kid. Which and, scene? It's uh, to- a... The scene in which the boy drowns in the chocolate. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is fucked up, actually. It is fucked up, and I don't like sweets, so like I'm literally that person in the audience going, "Don't go in there!" Like I just I don't understand why anybody would make that decision. Bitch, get out the room. Yeah, and so, but anyway, that (laughs) that fucked me up as a kid. But what I
0: I really (laughs) enjoy about horror films, I feel like, in order for me to be able to talk about why I enjoy horror films, I'm also. T- technically, like, tangentializing into, like, what I like about horror in and of itself. And so I'm going to try and, like, use a different analogy for it and then rope it back in. Go so, for it. And in this way, I'm going to talk about video games. I'm not going to go on a huge thing about it, but it's just, like, I really enjoy horror games simply for the fact that they work, they, they are antithetical to the typical gratification of a video game, which is empowerment. Whereas horror games, like, some of the best horror games, like Silent Hill 2, work towards disempowerment of trying to break the barrier between you and that character and they deliberately put you into an everyman role where that whereas you have the ability to fight back but you suck at fighting back and so it's always a last resort you have to find ways to outsmart or subvert or or solve problems with your head instead of like with your fists and that's what i really enjoy about horror films it Forces you to think about like how are you going to solve this problem when you can't attack it head on because it's not a it's it's supernatural it's not of this world or even in, in a case of like a a, a down to earth non supernatural film it's just like there's always some type of thing that keeps you from being able to actually engage within that it's way. like
1: playing not on not on a non even playing field yeah yes
0: yeah you're always at a disadvantage and it's just always really fascinating to see how and, and, and really, like like horror films on on a whole are just masterpieces of aesthetic nuance and aesthetic like like everything about it from the sound design from the from the location from the editing from the the costume design especially the practical special effects I feel like that is where all the stuff that's usually in the background of films is pushed to the forefront and I absolutely love that shit.
2: I think the horror genre in this is something that you guys can agree or disagree on. But it's it's come a long way in terms of trying to make subtle changes. It's had peaks and
0: valleys of quality.
2: Well, yeah, and, and I would agree with that as well. But at the same time, uh, we've gotten to the point now where uh, horror, in terms of, is not a mainstream genre that people gravitate towards. However, there is seems like a like almost like a, a worldwide acceptance that yes, there are all of these things that happen in horror films. There have been many horror films pretty much made to poke fun at the genre of horror. And now we've seen some films try really hard to both go back to what horror uh, has done all the time, but also trying to package it in a different way. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. But I feel like at least now, somewhat, uh, in the 21st century, we're seeing the genre sort of try to push a little bit into uh, a different direction than it has been, and for going for however long the genre has been a, a thing,
0: horror, horror has been around for as long as as motion pictures have really been around. Almost, I think. So obviously, it's it it goes through this periodic cycle of having to do revisionism and different types of like poking at itself in order to experiment and expand. And I'm not sure if it's really at a point yet because it it's it's really hard to talk about the current status of horror films because they're still going through this weird gestation period. They're still trying to adjust to um, like all of their films with the with the presence of the internet and just like different types of aggregate sums of like what do viewers actually want to see versus like what do creators actually want to create. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what's going to come out in a couple of years. I think that there's a way to – I think that there's a way to make – really engaging, and edifying, and, and absolutely terrifying films without having to resort to gore. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of those films come to bear.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, if I can jump right in, um, I, I feel like for the horror genre, it's it's really not tough for me necessarily, but I just really don't like horror movies that much. There's I've... still
0: some films I'll never watch again, like Child's Play. <laughs> that fucked me up as a kid. I can't do it. I'm sorry.
2: I just feel like for me, I, I overall, when I was a kid and younger and even still kind of now, like there are certain films that I'm just not crazy about in terms of either the gore that's happening or, or the subject matter. Um, I just, it doesn't really intrigue me. At um, And at the same time, I don't really like what's happening with, with uh, the characters and the stuff on screen. So I, I really don't go out of my way to usually watch them.
0: You don't go out of your way to see somebody get stabbed.
2: Well, and it's but that's the thing. Some people really like that kind of storyline, and some people like the 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 way that horror films are, and the the kind of things that happen on screen, and, and just the way the genre is. And then that's totally fine for them, and that's great. But just for me personally, I'm not into in, into that. Um, I will say though, uh, for for horror films, I, I don't know why it's so weird that I with everything I just said. When I watch a horror film and there's not like crazy shit happening and crazy murders happening, I feel like I'm not watching a horror movie. That's um, I'm just not not into it for some reason, and I feel like it's like it doesn't make any sense. Like I I shouldn't feel that way because of what I just stated, but I feel like if I'm going to make the effort to watch a horror film, I want to get my money's worth. I want to see
0: some shit that makes me feel really uncomfortable. If I'm
2: gonna sit here and watch a horror film, I want to watch fucking crazy shit happen. I want to watch somebody's face get. Ripped off by a fucking, uh... What was the uh, the name of, uh, in Saw that kept uh, the, re- the recurring... A reverse bear trap. Yeah, the re- I, I want to see someone's head get exploded and that kind of shit. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, the it ice it, blocks. It doesn't make any sense, but I, I want to see things like that happen. So I, I guess that's why I've, I've gravitated and uh, watched the entire Saw series, because I, I enjoy uh, that kind of torture porn for some reason. And if I'm going to make an effort to actually watch the film, I want to see something like that. And also, too, uh, when it comes to the, the horror genre... And I, 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 it's really hard to say, but I, I like films that get into more than just one single um, antagonist because I feel like that is something that is very important to the horror genre where there is one voice, one person, one thing. Well, yeah, that's I guess what I'm saying, where things come from different ways. If you look at a film like The Strangers, which isn't necessarily a great horror film, but is a horror film I enjoyed mm-hmm. because we had this interesting... Uh, landscape where, where we're at a house with with a couple there, and they're basically being stalked the entire film. I've but, seen it, but since it's coming from different directions and there's three people involved with it, there's this weird sort of disorientation happening mm-hmm. where things can happen at any time, and it's not just one person showing. I got it away from this it. guy.
0: What about the other two? Where are they?
2: Well, and we see this, in we even see this in a film like Scream, where even if you don't necessarily know it, and it's not like a plot heavy film necessarily. But there are two people who are playing the same single character, so that makes sense of why one person can be here at one time and have a backstory of, oh, I was out last night with my girlfriend, while the other person is doing the fucked up shit, because there are actually two people doing the same thing. And I, I just like that. I feel like it, it really brings to better storytelling, and at the same time, it's not that it's the same old oh, here comes Freddy Krueger, he's going to fucking fuck you up and stick his fucking claws in your face. So, yeah, I don't know. I have a really weird feeling and a really rude relationship with the horror genre, and I don't know, I just, um, I I don't really love it, but um, if I'm I'm going to watch it, I want to go all the way, I guess. Okay.
1: That makes sense. I think what's funny is that, I think somehow I like horror movies more than you slightly. Okay. Even though I barely watch them. <laughs> and I will preface, you know, saying that is that some of my favorite movies are horror films and that's because I think right now our biggest problem with the genre is what we talk about when we talk about horror. When it's, it's just like... What we talk about when we talk about horror. That sounds like it should be like a, a documentary. I was uh, technically ripping off the Raven Carver story. Yes, yeah.
2: yeah, you actually did this last week, too, on the episode. You, you had something like, well, this is what we talk about when we talk about this. It's my
1: favorite go-to uh, phrase now. Yeah, but... You just love Birdman. You can just come out and say it. Come I on. do like Birdman. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm genuinely serious because... What What's funny is that we don't acknowledge that horror is just like comedy in that mm-hmm. it's the most subjective genre out there. And yet when we say we go see a horror movie, just like when we say we go see a comedy movie, what's the first thing somebody asks you? Is it funny? The same thing happens when you say, oh, yeah, I just saw – and you name a horror movie. Like if it's new, you know, the first question is always, is it scary? What What, what universe is that a helpful question to ask because – Even if it is, it it has no bearing on whether it's scary to the next person. And we're also then missing the point on whether it's actually a good film.
0: Not asking, is it a scary movie, but what kind of scary movie is it?
2: But I I think that question, specifically what you're saying, and specifically the two genres you're comparing, really lends itself to really what's unfortunately becoming a, a, a day that is not as important as it was many years ago, which is the theater experience. And I've said many a time, if I, I, any day of the week will take seeing a really funny film in a crowded theater over any other film. And I feel horror. The genre is the exact same way where it doesn't really matter how good the film is. The film could really complete shit, but if you're seeing it with a whole group of people and everybody in the film is you know, doing the gasping and that kind of thing, it could really become its own thing. And I, I guess that's more where that sort of is-it-funny-or-is-it-scary thing could come from and actually still have relevance today.
0: Horror is a communal experience, I think. Right, that, and that's exactly what I'm saying. It is,
1: and, but it shouldn't... And that's totally fine then. Yeah. But then that that doesn't lend itself to, I would say creators innovating anymore or Mm -hmm. audience demanding innovation itself because if that's because those are the people that are buying the tickets those are the people that are basically uh, green lighting the movies and so when you have for me like i just get into what i like Mm -hmm. about horror i love being scared but only in the way I like being scared. And that's, that's, when you just break that down, that's just like telling a joke. I I find, I love to laugh, I love comedy, but only if you're telling the jokes that I want to hear. And we don't really think of that in the same way of like drama or something like that. Like, you know, I typically can go with a drama that I might not have really thought about before, but because it's something I hadn't experienced before, like, there's just a completely different void in how we approach those kind of genres. And now... For me, you, Toussaint, and mentioned uh, psychological horror. Mm-hmm. That is definitely up there as far as probably my main priority when I watch horror. Like, I don't want to be scared because something popped out at me. I want to be scared because when I leave a theater, I will start to, like,
0: unravel it. Unravel
1: it and, like, genuinely start to get disturbed because of what it might say about myself or mm-hmm. what it might say about society at large. So, therefore, I, I, I tend to gravitate, you know, towards even movies that I can't even really explain, like David Lynch movies, which are not often brought up in. In uh, horror genres? They it's, should be, though. They should be, though. and That's the thing. I have seen it more recently because I think we're finally starting to acknowledge that just because nobody else is making films like him doesn't mean that he hasn't made his own genre of horror. But, mm-hmm. like, the last 20 minutes of, like, Mulholland Drive are 20 of the most frightening minutes I've seen in the cinema because of how well it built up this. Just, it's, it's, you can't even explain it because if, you, if you've seen the movie you know what I'm talking about but if you, if you haven't then it's just to explain it would mm-hmm. just dilute it but filmmaking like that where it's not scary because we turned up the bass on the, on the discordant chord or yeah, or anything like that. But because it's 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 genuinely creeping me out because I don't know who thought of this and therefore like I I you know, I get creeped out. The other thing um
0: and sometimes the absence of of sound, like the deliberate like yeah. reduction out of out of sound effects is also really unnerving because we're so used to having those those audible cues. In order to like see is like should we be when is the drop going to happen like, oh, yeah. like it's like the the horror version of dubstep like, when's the drop going to happen
2: when's going <laughs> to jump out and kill him?
1: exactly and then the other thing I guess just to break it down even like more specific is that I don't go in for horror movies if the situation is I would say fantasy or sci-fi so to speak i do somewhat like some sci-fi Why? like when you show me the thing i don't mind that but maybe because that's based in like a, i wouldn't say realistic or anything like that but it's based in a place where they try to explain it and say like well it came from this or whatever but in general like a, a, a killer clown is just not something that happens in real life therefore all that if i go to see something like it or something like that's just going to like annoy me and not like actually scare me because everything
0: floats down here nick if what? Everything floats
2: down here.
1: What's that from? It's from it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. See, I haven't seen it. i like, I just
2: said. Uh, for me, at least, I can't. I can't take it seriously just because Tim Curry plays it. I've got to say that
0: is true as well. I love Tim Curry as an actor. <laughs> to me too. Yeah. That's
2: that's the problem too. Yeah. Like his his very recognizable face, and then I look at
1: it, and I'm just like. Nah, man. Nah. <laughs> nah. But, that ain't you. <laughs> but the dict- <laughs> but the dichotomy of, like, between something like that, like a killer clown, or take my probably all-time favorite horror movie, like The Shining, which is an alcoholic father trying to kill his family because he's just going a little crazy. Well, that
2: is, like, the ultimate psychological horror right, film. but I, that's why I'm using it yeah, as the example. So for sure.
1: Most people have seen it and whatnot. Yeah. Like, when you compare those, it's night and day as, like, for me, a good horror movie makes me think a bad horror movie. Movie, it's like I have epilepsy on an amusement park ride. It's just <laughs> not a pleasant experience for anybody involved, and I don't understand why Perfect, I, you know, why why I went through it in the first place. Um so yeah, like the shining I just mentioned is one of my all-time favorite. Another one that I think is underrated and did not get talked about enough, and I showed it to Toussaint mm-hmm. is called Possession from nineteen eighty one. Holy fuck and that it's, film. yeah, it's by Andre Zlowski, I think. And um that's a great example of there's no jump scares, there's no uh there's a little I would say body horror, A um, little okay, but it's not like saw as far as like it's there, <laughs> there, look there's 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 body
0: horror in like in like saw, and then there's David Cronenberg body right. horror and. Possession definitely skews more towards Cronenberg. Correct. Than, like it's saw. things you
1: haven't seen before, but it also comes out in like little bursts. It's not the point of the movie, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but that's a good. And then the other little subgenre of horror that I do like, and we're going to get into that today, is I, I do like horror comedy because half the time, at least then, m- most of the time, I would say, the film is self aware enough to both dig at what's actually a scary about these situations mm-hmm. and yet also not get too far up its own ass uh, unless you're watching Scream three uh, when it comes to like examining what works about these kinds of stories and what doesn't. So the, the thing about horror comedy too,
2: which uh, obviously those two genres put together um, in just by themselves, they don't usually lend themselves to really uh, good script writing. But I feel like if you're even you really good horror comedy uh, it, it could be done really well. I mean, oh, yeah. even though I wouldn't call it like the best script or anything like that, I look at a film like Zombieland and I just feel like that film in terms of the way it was written and, and the way the characters are portrayed in the film is so much more entertaining than most other horror films in terms of how the characters are developed throughout it and I just ate it up the entire time. Oh no,
1: for sure. I mean, horror comedies did not come about simply because like, you know, out of like genre pastiche needs. It was I mean, it's simply because horror and comedy, in my opinion, are not that far from each other, psychologically mm-hmm. speaking. When you are scared, you're either going to scream or you're going to laugh because you just – your body cannot cope with what's happening. So that' why the two, the two meshings between um, – sorry, you're laughing. So oh, no, am I-, I scaring the shit out of you, <laughs> Alex?
2: I just can't get the image out of my head. I I can just see uh our our uh, fellow comrade Kenny Marcellus, just leaning back in his chair and just <laughs> holy shit watching a horror film and I I just I yeah. just could just imagine him
1: doing that. And see yeah.
2: that's why horror films are fun.
0: They're communal. Right. It's like I I would love to watch uh, another horror film
1: with Kenny. Yeah, that that will be great. And I believe he's coming back. Yeah, two weeks he will be on our on our episode where we'll be talking about all seven yep. saw films. And um, I love those movies for a very specific reason that I have not mentioned on this podcast, but it is a very convoluted and personal reason, and I will for sure get into it on that episode. Awesome.
2: Looking forward to it. Well, and that uh, obviously that episode is something to, to look forward to, and uh, we oh, did. Make... It will be. Well, it's going to be an interesting uh, discussion, to say the least. Um, in, in... Oh, Billy! Oh, oh Billy! That's going to
1: get mentioned a few times on the episode as <laughs> well. Just, the intro is just going to be all of us going, "Oh, oh Billy! Billy!"
2: <laughs> Billy. Uh, So that's something to look forward to as we're wrapping up our uh, discussion talking about horror films. Uh, we did also mention, but I'll, I'll mention it again now too, uh, next week uh, Sam Shamara is going to join us again. As we're Yay! going to be talking about another uh, an, another new film, which is good, uh, and that is uh, Guillermo del Toro's *Crimson Peak*, uh, which is going to be released uh, later on this week, and we'll be talking about it on episode 36 and next d- week.
1: And that in and of itself is kind of a subgenre that I don't think any one of us really brought up, which is like gothic horror and um, you know your your traditional ghost stories type thing. So yeah. I'll, I'll be curious to know what all three of us think about it.
0: Yeah,
2: and we will uh, talk about more that more on the next episode. No, I want to talk about it now.
1: I mean, I haven't seen it, but.
2: (laughs) I I think we're going to have. One
0: film at a time, Nick.
2: I think we're going to have an interesting discussion about it because uh, gothic horror is not a genre I gravitate towards at all. So I'm interested to hear all of your and Sam's opinions on it. And I I think I'll have a differing opinion, but it'll probably bring to a, a pretty good discussion. So that's something to look forward to on the next episode on today's episode, uh an hour and eight minutes in we're finally getting <laughs> to our main review hey, and hey man. it's been it's been a fun uh, hour it eight minutes. it's been good stuff on this episode though we are talking about the original Scream, which was released ah! wow that was my scream that is your sound for everything no i, I think it's completely different <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> I just love every episode pretty much uh it's like seriously it's been like eight episodes where you've it, it, you just I mean, alternate that same damn scream in it, a different pitch. It, it made sense for the Jurassic World episode where you are trying to do the raptor impression. But seriously,
1: it's great. Yeah. I'm never gonna stop.
2: Well, and I, I wish, I hope you don't. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Thank you.
1: Hello. Hello. Who is this? If you tell me your name. I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? popcorn you making popcorn well, i'm getting ready to watch a video really what well, just some scary movie you like scary movies uh-huh you never told me your name why do you want to know my name i want to know who i'm looking at someone is playing a deadly game it all began with a scream over 911.
2: Someone who's seen one too many
1: scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big breasted girl who can't act, who's always running up the stairs, and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules. That one of the bye-bye in order to successfully survive a scary
0: movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, What's
2: with this name?
1: Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> The police are always on track. If they watch Palm Night, and safe save time. He just
2: kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide.
1: Everybody's a suspect! not scared, are you? Squeak.
2: Uh, to give you a description of the uh, the original 1996 Scream, uh, attempting to cope with her mother's recent murder, Sydney and her horror movie-obsessed friends are Sydney. stalked. Thank you. Are <laughs> stalked by a murderer who seems to have a hard time letting the past go. Oh, spooky. This film stars Nev Campbell as Sydney, also Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Skeet Ulrich, Oh, man. Uh, also in this film is uh, Rose McGowan, uh, Matthew Lillard, Jamie Kennedy, yeah, <laughs> uh, Drew Barrymore, who is in the first scene. And uh, I have to say, uh, my favorite part for sure of the film uh, is the guy who does the voice uh, of of Ghostface, and that is Roger Jackson. He
0: sounds like Jack Nicholson doing like an ASMR video. <laughs> you
1: haven't even mentioned uh, Henry Winkler. Oh, I, I totally forgot. Well, I think it's just. Great, great casting for that he little is, part. He is in a really
2: small part. And if you if you you know haven't just watched it, you could easily forget that he's there. But yes, I, I agree. The, the Fonz is in this film, and he does do a good job hey. in the scenes. And
0: <laughs> Wes Carpenter is, too.
2: Yes, there is a line uh, referring to uh, other horror films, and I, I believe it is uh, Rose McGowan's character who says, Well, it's not like one of those stupid Wes Carpenter films. Yeah. I also do like, uh, before we just get into uh, general overall thoughts, I think there is a line, we talk about this film being self-aware of the horror genre, uh, There, there is a line uh, where she talks about those stupid Nightmare, before, Nightmare on Elm Street films, mm-hmm. which uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was a Wes Craven creation, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, I feel like that's something that, hey, you know what, even though he didn't necessarily uh, have much involvement in the sequels of Nightmare on Elm Street... Kudos to Wes Craven for being able to take a, a, a little bit of a jab at himself in, mm. in one of his own films. And, hey, you know what? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, More power to him because, as, as we know, there are at least one or two people in Hollywood who have their head up their ass and think they are above that kind of thing. So, For sure.
1: No, I think what you're touching on, should, I guess, should I? Yeah, go ahead, Nick. I don't mean to. But Jump right in. What you're saying is what I love about Scream, the, f- the franchise and specifically this original movie, but is that he... It's not just a horror comedy to be meta and gimmicky for the sake of it. It's a movie that makes everybody complicit in its own, like, violence and mayhem. Like, nobody, like, is basically spared from, and I'm sure that's why I included it, from the director that's making it to the audience that's watching it, because there there are sequences in this film that I I absolutely love, not because they're even, I wouldn't say that they're, I would, like, that they're even that laugh-out-loud funny or that, like, spine terrifying but just hit that sweet spot of like getting somehow to be both um, at the same time like the scene in which uh, I love I want to I forget the names but when Jamie Kennedy's character is like mm-hmm. on the couch and drunk and watching the um, the scary movie mm-hmm. I, I don't know which one he's watching he's is he watching, watching Halloween
0: I don't know he's just watching a scary movie so were,
1: I was gonna say they were talking about Jamie Lee Curtis at one point but I think he may have switched over to another movie but anyway yeah. uh, but he's doing that and of course he's the rule follower and he's mm-hmm. the one who's seen so many horror movies which is up until this movie that was like the complaint about so many horror movies was that it's like no character in a horror movie has ever seen a horror movie. So this alone is a, is a reaction to that mentality and which is another reason why I think it's great and kind of a trailblazer, but it also gets to have its cake and eat it too, because when, um, when he's doing that whole drunken rant whatever and he's like literally yelling look behind you at the at the TV while Ghostface is behind him no look behind you well then we also have another layer added to that because then there is also a camera inside the house in which the uh, the cameraman from oh, who's like the Gale Weathers sidekick mm-hmm. is also watching this happening and then he's freaking out so I love that this basically does like make the audience complicit too because it just kind of says like why do we we watched these horror movies where everybody makes the wrong decision.
2: Can I just throw something in? Yeah. It's really stupid, but I just Points. love every time in this film, where uh, we first see the cameraman and Gail Weathers, and they're going towards trying to get an interview uh, at the school after the the original scene. Yeah, and she's saying, "Jesus, get your shit together and move." And he's like, "My name's not Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, that, that's it's a good point Really yeah. dumb, but I, it's it, one of those things in this film that it, they they stick a lot of those little things in, and the little yeah. things, uh, yeah,
0: like that, uh, for sure the, the West Craven uh, cameo with. Uh, uh, Principal Fonz who's looking out <laughs> and he sees uh, Wes Craven, uh, the, the janitor, dressed up as <laughs> as Freddy Krueger. <laughs>
1: yeah. I and mean, I like how uh, he calls him a prick when he leaves. Like He's, he's like, which, I forget what he asked him or something like that, but he's like, oh, who's there? Yes. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry to bother him. And you just hear the janitor uh, yeah. say prick. And then, yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, going back to uh, the other reason why I, I personally I love this movie is that like I said, I think at times this movie is honestly one of the scariest movies I personally have seen. And at the other, like we're talking about now, at other times it's also like one of the funnier movies I've ever seen. And it gets to balance these two things. And some scenes, I would say, are devoid of like, if it's, like, let's take the opening scene uh, with Drew Barrymore. For me, that is basically the best ten minutes of like the horror genre I've ever seen, personally. Mm-hmm. Not, not, like, in my professional opinion, whatever that means, Um, that is the genre at its most playful and yet in my opinion downright terrifying because it is actually depicting something that in my opinion is legitimately scary it If you are home alone and somebody is just going to fuck with you hello, for no other reason and with no real context, like, that is terrifying. That is something that I could legitimately see somebody doing, even in the age of, like, caller ID or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just something you just can't get away from. And, um... You know more so than like what I talked about earlier, like killer clouds for the sake of it, or like the ghost of a spirit, you know, come to haunt you. Like these are the kind of things that people would do as a joke, and that's why it becomes scary because like she believes it's a joke at first, and so that's I, the horror of like that light bulb going off in her head that this is not a joke. This is you know like I've seen this movie before, so to speak. Like that's what I feel like actually embodies what this movie does so well in the horror genre. I
0: really enjoy the rhythm of that first conversation just because i i love love ghostface's like voice and i love the fact that she actually has like a a a, a canister of jiffy pop, which is supposed to be symbolic of the like the rising tension and when it's on fire then it's the climax of like the horror that's actually going on in that scene. And just the fact that he's just like, Who are you talking to? It's like, what are you making? Popcorn? Popcorn. And I was like, I only see popcorn at the movies. It's like two degrees separated from a fucking <laughs> Sears commercial. It's it's how it's how like like sugary sweet it is, and then it just <laughs> takes a fucking turn and it's just like, I'm gonna gut you like a trout. Yeah.
2: Well, and and what I was going to say about that scene, and this is even more of a, a thematic thing. Um, and I'm, it, it's hard to say because this is 19 years old now, which is holy it's, shit, it's sad to say. God. And I didn't go see this, and I didn't really know anything about it when it came out in the theaters when I was nine years old. Uh, however, I do know that Drew Barrymore was the the biggest star going into this film. Yes. And I, I'd be interested to see what the original
1: promotional material was for this film to my knowledge that was like the big shock of the opening scene which she was on the cover i want to say and
2: and i believe
1: that
0: jada pinkett smith was on the the cover of scream Two And she gets killed in the first scene too. Well, right. that's,
2: that's where I'm going though, is, is this does something that was, this was something that was really done, not necessarily for the first time, but really done almost to perfection by Alfred Hitchcock in psycho, where you have your main star who people are going to see. And they're just like, Oh, it's lovely seeing them. And I'm going to see a film about them and they're going to be the main character. And then the audience gets surprised of, holy shit, the main character in the film is killed off. And obviously it's a lot sooner in Scream than in Psycho. But still, it's the same kind of concept where you think you're going to see a movie about something and
1: it totally throws you off after the first 10 minutes. Right. Which is like, that's how you effectively set up tension because until you stop, playing into audience expectations, the audience will always be another step ahead. So it's kind of like, you know, um, once she is killed off, personally, like, the first time you watch it, you can, I would think reasonably expect that anybody is fair game after that point and they are right and even though neb campbell's character becomes a de facto main character and she survives all the way to the end and and into the other movies like when at least the first time you're watching it like you can you would have legitimately had that reaction of like well i mean is she gonna get killed off now because it's just that's that's how you yeah like i said effectively set up horror um what are your guys general thoughts
0: my thoughts on the film are that i haven't seen this film in over 10 over ten years, almost fifteen years. I haven't seen this since two thousand. Yeah, and I remember this film scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And honestly, it didn't scare me now. Hmm. Um, I I don't know how to how to feel about this. I don't know if Scream has aged as well as um, Scream Four. Actually, no, no, it's. That's not what I just want to make a note to yeah, the go listener go because
1: I, I I made this comment because Toussaint, yeah. uh, a rarely seen Letterbox user, <laughs> finally decided to come out of hibernation and uh, score a few films. And this weekend, he watched all four Scream films. Yeah, and he gave Scream Four the highest rating out of all four. Yes, I did. So yeah, yes, anyway. I
0: did. Mostly, uh, that's that's a whole nother can of worms in order to explain that. Uh, but uh, fuck, I'm just gonna explain it.
1: How going you say get going? A little okay. it's, it's related, okay,
0: so the reason why I ranked scream four a little bit higher like my half star over scream is because I really enjoyed like the contemporary like uh actors who were going to be a part of it. I thought that for the fact of having come back like eleven years after the last film and for it to have been strong as strong as it was and to still have enough in the in the gas tank, so to speak to still like pull me in with the first couple of of fake out uh title sequences
1: <laughs> that opening is probably my it favorite is. opening besides the first film yes it, it, it's that. it's
0: right up there with the original in my opinion
1: not because it's scary but because it's so well conceived yeah. and, and and followed through yeah
0: yeah was like i just thought that of, regardless of that of, of the attributes of the film itself it was just such a an excellent palate cleanser after the atrocity that is the third film with true. its jay and silent bob um Cameo, yes. There's a Jay and Silent oh, Bob yeah. cameo oh, yeah. in the third film. There's and a lot Jesus. of
1: things in the third film that should be there, but yeah. That was when Miramax was like really jacking off to Kevin Smith and was trying to get Jay and Silent Bob and everything and. That was around the time like a Goodwill when Goodwill Hunting sequel when and Jane
0: saw and Bob Strike Back came out. I remember. Yeah, so it was That's almost why. like
1: cross
2: synergy. Yeah. Can I say uh, just this is a little off topic, but I am I am not a subscriber to the Kevin Smith uh, game game. I just I never... that is a
1: little off topic. Yeah, it's... in the sense that I could go on about that. Yeah, but,
2: but I, I'm just I've I've really I've enjoyed things he's been in and things he's done, but for the most part. His whole like his whole game and his whole thing that he does and his whole shtick I fucking couldn't care less for. Him. Dogma's the shit. It's a good film. That's what I'm saying. I, I enjoy things that he is in and things that he's done, but he's Are you seems, talking about like, the
1: persona? Yeah, he is yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: this persona and also a lot of the more recent films right. that he's put out. I honestly just wish it would just go away and right. be gone. This
1: whole like joke filmmaking shtick. Well and also well, I mean Tusk was literally created solely because he said, if you vote yes enough times, we'll make this very stupid film.
2: Right, and, then that, and, that, and that's stupid, and I, I don't care for it. And also, yeah. too, he just like goes around and does things, and is, is there to be seen times, and I yeah.
1: totally
2: off topic, and we don't have to talk more about it, but not not a
1: fan. Okay. That's understandable. So, yeah. but I'm mostly giving you shit toson because I, I will even say that I like Scream 4 quite a bit yeah. and um I don't like it personally more than 1 and 2, mm-hmm. but it is actually a very good film compared to 3. Yes it is. Yes so.
0: it is. Um so just wheeling back to my opinion of Scream 1, I'm I'm not sure if it's still it still resonates as being as scary. I think that it's it's very clever, especially to to the one scene, Nick, that you were referring to with the we are watching the, the television like like cameraman watching the kid watching the horror film. And we are watching him commenting on that kid not looking back while that kid is commenting on that. Th- oh, my God. It's fucking Dan Harmon even all over like, again. Even
1: like the punchline of that scene. I love which it's five second delay. Yeah, the 30-second delay. Yeah, 30-second delay. Once that light bulb goes on, because that's the kind of movie scene that we've seen a million times before where all of a sudden, you know somebody puts something together and will realize the killer is much nearer. But Mm -hmm. like it, and almost every time that it does happen, it doesn't make any sense. But here it actually does make sense when he says that out loud. He's like, Oh my God, it's a 30 second delay, which reasonably is enough time for the killer to have opened the door, walked out and just, you know, ran right up and sliced his neck. So I love that kind of like, almost it's it's almost like a punchline because it's kind of like the thing that like, the audience is not thinking about it, and then once it happened, it's it's, it's not terrifying anymore because it's just a foregone conclusion. But.
0: Personally, this uh, this film is more of a comedy than it is a, uh, a horror film, in my opinion, yeah. just because I enjoy – I got the most gratification. I was so surprised by this. I got the most re- gratification out of this entire film every time that Ghostface finally, like – reveals himself to the actual, like, victim, and there's, like, this tussle and this fight, and it's just, like, the best physical comedy I've seen in a long time. Just watching Sidney totally wreck his shit the first time that they're fighting, and then he just, like, falls down the stairs. He's trying to get through the door, but he can't do it. I, I will say... <laughs> He's I'm stabbing the wall. He's falling all over himself. He cannot get his shit together.
1: I will... Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, I was just going to say that I, I feel like that is one of the absolute best parts about the film. Mm-hmm. And it's twofold because as we're talking about horror and comedy being something that goes together and it, it really works well together, if done properly, it is funny. And it it is, you know, you know, hilarious to see Ghostface face falling over and ah, shit, that kind of thing. However, it also makes the character less of this, ominous figure like Freddy Krueger or Jason or Mike Myers or something like that where they're this you know mythical creature where in 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 all reality it's just a guy who's in a costume
1: right and I think that's also what makes it scarier maybe not in the moment as far as like like not like my heart is beating when I'm watching it or something like that but I, I personally am more terrified at the like like the guy behind the suit that I know is probably somebody I know that mm-hmm. somehow is for some weird reason not stopping at anything to like perform this prank than I am at, like, oh yeah, like you said, mythological, you know, people that wield a chainsaw because it looks cool type thing. Um, one,
0: no regard to fuel or where the fuck you actually found it or how you actually tugged it along, but you no, know, you don't need any of that. Yeah,
1: man. Um, I was gonna say something earlier. What were we just before we, oh, shoot. You're back. talking about talking about the movie Scream. I know that much. <laughs> and
2: we're
0: talking about Scream
2: Four. But I was going
1: to go off on another uh, and Scream Three, other little avenue. avenue. No, okay. no, like another avenue. Oh, okay. Just before, but I, I forgot what it was. Well, so. do you mind if I uh, jump no. in and, go. and kind of give my overall opinions? Go for it, buddy.
2: Oh, I will do just that then. Uh, I also, like Tucson, had not seen this film in quite a long time. I've seen.
1: Oh, okay. Sorry. You got it. Yeah. I've just, I had to like
2: hold, hold on to it. I and... wanted to like
1: repeat it and like do okay. that. So that way I know what it is. Okay, good. Yeah. Sorry.
2: We'll put a bark mark in and we'll come back to that. A <laughs> you can so, but going back to what I was trying, going to start saying is that I haven't seen this film in a long time and I feel like I have much of the same feelings that Dusan has where I, I did remember liking this film uh, when I first saw it many years ago and actually watched it all the way through and I feel like I liked it for a different reason this time going in where I appreciated a lot of what this film was trying to do, even though I certainly didn't find this film to be that scary or actually that necessarily funny at some points when it's, it's trying to be. I I I really appreciated sort of the tone of this film and, and, I, and I really uh, really enjoyed it, even though I don't think it's overly scary or overly funny at all, even if it's trying to be like an undertone of everything. Um, I will say, for me, at least, in terms of talking about this film not aging very well, I have to completely agree with Tucson on that. And I already think there are there's just a litany of things that are just great 90s pop culture references that are amazing, uh, including uh, the mention of Ricky Lake, uh, a video store. Oh, God. Also, uh, Jamie Kennedy, also a 90s pop culture reference. Those fucking phones, man. <laughs> oh, hold on. Give me a second. Um, The term, as if, um, people having frosted tips on their hair, um, white people wearing shirts that are two sizes too big, and uh, also uh, a police officer saying, what is a kid doing with a cellular phone? (laughs) 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 Like, oh yeah, Uh, these damn kids, why does he have a cell phone? Get off my lawn! It was only for adults, because you know every single person now doesn't have a cell phone. If we're even going to call them cell phones.
1: I'm completely in agreement with the fact that, like, elements of his film don't age well. Mm. However, I also think that's a good thing for this film in a, yeah, way, that, in a sure. way that that's not good for other horror films because this film is I feel like this film was already self-aware of the fact that things like this because it was so ingrained in popular culture that the only way to make this film was to make these kind of specific references. The cell phone thing is through and through hilarious because that, that almost seems like it was trying to like Tie up a plot point that just would not be relevant in today's you know world, but like references to like Ricky Lake and stuff like that, I almost feel like work to the film's strength because it does end up being this like almost time capsule of like what horror looked like at the moment because it was a reaction to what horror looked like at the moment. So no, I'm I'm in complete agreement that it it, it hasn't aged well, but I almost feel like that's a benefit in most respects.
2: Uh a other couple things I wanted to mention, um, just overall and in terms of small little things I I really did enjoy. Um Rose McGowan and Courtney Cox, I knew they were both in the film and I did not recognize their characters at all as You didn't
1: recognize Courtney Cox? I did not. I could understand not recognizing Rose McGowan because, because of her hair being dyed Yeah, blonde. I mean it's yeah. like a complete one eighty, but like Courtney like you you know. I kept watched... thinking You I... ever watch
2: Friends? I I know what she looks like. I will say, in terms of what Courtney Cox looks like, she is presented in somewhat of a different way in this film. And just for me, I, at one point, was going, man, I know she's in this film and she's in the series, but... Where the and fuck it, is she? It's not like this is towards the end of the film. This is like 10 minutes in or something like that. It was Where's just after her Gail? first... Yeah. Anyways. What I was saying, though, yeah, I didn't necessarily recognize her, and I, you know, I thought that was that was kind of cool actually. That I yeah. these people who are well-known actresses, and I, I didn't necessarily recognize them right away, and I, I think that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um But overall, getting back, kind of roping back to that, um, I. I enjoy this film, but I, I definitely don't think it's great or it's a you know very important film. Even if it it is to some people, and that's fine to you, but
1: for me, it's but you just... don't think
2: this is important
1: to like the not to you or me, but like into like the the legacy it has on like horror and cult filmmaking. This
0: film is like single handedly like re- held responsible for the the resurgence of popular horror, at least for yeah. the
1: time. Well, and, and that's and it is or uh, even the concept of horror comedy. I mean, yeah. that, that right. not even and
2: then, and that's in terms of its legacy. Uh, but but for you wouldn't me...
1: have Zombieland
2: without Scream. Or... Okay, that's fine. But yeah. for me, it's it's not like a film that I would watch and say, "Boy, that's like a a classic film that I I would recommend to, to people, even if people feel that way, and even if it is to other people." For me, I'm it's just, just asking, not... like,
1: are you? Negating the influence it has no i'm not, okay. i'm not i'm not saying I, that it's I see not what you're I, saying. i'm
2: just personally That's all i was curious I, about I, I i don't think that it, it it lives up to its reputation for me you, that,
1: you, that you hold
0: respect me. for the the shadow of its influence and the things that it helped to like make, but well, it's not a film that has aged well
2: when i also well not not even that like I also acknowledge that obviously this had an effect on other films that have happened since then and that is Pretty clear, and as you just mentioned, is like *Zombieland* or or other horror comedy Shaun films. Of the dead. sure, but for me, it's just um, you know, it's just not anything that I would say, man. That is an absolute classic or anything. I think it's just a, a, another good horror comedy film, and maybe that's just because I haven't seen it in so
1: long, and that's just the way I feel about it in today's climate. That makes sense. Um what I was going to say earlier when Toussaint was talking about the uh, the antics so to speak of uh <laughs> of Ghostface and his physical comedy like yeah. in the, like the chase scenes. I have to admit what you're saying is bringing back uh, some memories because I did not watch the Scream films when I was a child. I really probably only watched like all four of them probably within the last 5 or 6 years or so like I, because I just did not watch any horror films when I was a child. Um but The trippiest film experience I've ever had is probably watching Scream at a late age, having been a – and this is very embarrassing to admit, but having been a diehard Scary Movie fan Mm -hmm. when I was like 10 years old. That's fine. Because – Scary Movie is a parody of a parody.
0: Scary Movie was the original title of Scream before it became right. Scream, yeah.
1: and they're both Miramax production. Like it is, it's almost like I, on the one hand, Scary Movie—not that we're going to talk about Scary Movie—but it is so directly connected to Scream that it's like almost impossible not to mention it. But it's almost on the one hand, after seeing Scream, I both think Scary Movie is completely. Pointless and whatnot, Mm -hmm. and yet also I have a little bit more of appreciation for the audacity it takes to just, like, parody... Period. Like it just, it almost makes no sense of why it even exists, and yet that's no. also the joke. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm completely on board. But when you were saying like, um ghost face like falling over or whatever, I genuinely, when I was watching scary movie when I was like ten years old and eating that shit up, I of course was assuming like, oh, this is, must have been what scary movie added to you know this story because I could, I, I knew it was a ripoff of Scream and such. But like, it's so funny how many specific things are in this straight from the like. Somewhat mentally challenged deputy to like, uh, ghost face, like not being a competent uh runner you know <laughs> like little things like that that i assume were just jokes thrown in and yet no that's actually what gives this movie its personality so anyway it just it was just one of those weird flashbacks where like i the first not, not only that really quickly but the final speech is almost verbatim this final speech given in scary movie when he mm-hmm. like this one the doozy like that entire like surprise sydney speech is is almost like verbatim how scary movie ends, so um anyway, it's just a weird trippy if you haven't rewatched either of these like in a while like watch them back to back and it's the weirdest experience ever
0: it's a really fun it it's it's fun not only as a, a parody of scream but also as kind of a uh what's what's it's a, almost like a time capsule of parody for all the other films that came uh, out during that time, like the yeah. Matrix and um
1: yeah, we um, talk about things not aging well on the screen. It's like multiplied to 100 because of the ridiculousness. Yeah. 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 But anyway, I don't mean to get no, off. No, that the, that's the fine.
2: Rail. Uh we were, we we're talking about Ghostface and and him as a character, uh and uh I, I think that for me is is my favorite part of the film is not necessarily when we get revealed who was behind it and whatever, but just the the actions of Ghostface. Uh I I really like because
1: I I feel like a, the actions a, of Ghostface, like the man, like the man in the mask, or like the the people behind.
2: Um, I I guess more what I'm talking about is the voice we're hearing when the phone okay. calls are happening, and then we when we actually see him appear and and what he does in in those scenes. Um, I feel like as the the film goes on, uh, the the actual person who's 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 in it and the actual what we're seeing on the screen as ghost faced gets more personality even though it's just a person running around in a in a ghost outfit. Yep. And we see a, a lot of small little details that I I just absolutely love. Both A that are thematically unbelievably awesome and B are uh, the the second part of it was just I almost fell off the chair laughing and it was such a small subtle thing. Uh, the first thing I was going to mention that was thematically amazing was uh, the shot of Ghostface walking, and you see the reflection of him in uh, the Fonz's eyeball, which is just incredible. Yes. Seeing that on the screen, I mean, it, it, it's almost in, in terms of eyeball shots—you don't, you don't get many of them. Obviously, we have the.
1: It's very hard to do without, like, CGI. Well,
2: yeah. and we, we have the the historic eyeball scene that doesn't involve a reflection, but uh, from Psycho, a film that I brought up earlier, where it kind of goes away from the eyeball and the, the camera uh, tilts slightly. But just seeing the reflection of Ghostface sort of just appearing into into the dead eyeball uh, of the principal is, is it's just a great shot and uh, something that I was just surprised, but that that was here and that we got a shot like that in this kind of film. And the other thing I was going to mention, which was just for some reason the funniest thing of the entire film to me, after Rose McGowan's character Tatum uh, gets killed when she gets stuck in the doggy door uh, in the garage, oh god, that's awesome, gets totally fucked up at the top of the door and pretty much gets hanged slash strangled slash broken. We don't really know what happens. It's just
1: weird mixture of like a blunt force trauma and a hanging like it's one of the most disturbing things that i've seen.
2: So after all that happens and Ghostface is seemingly standing there watching all of this unfold and obviously he didn't know exactly how this was going to go down. <laughs> no. We just have him casually strolling back inside the house and i don't know what it was, just the shot of him and just i could just see like a a a just a look on his face even though i'm looking at a mask and then just casually walking in like, well, that's some fucked up shit. Oh, yeah. I, I I don't know. It was just, for me, it was just so funny and I don't know if it should have been, but it just... Oh, it just...
1: absolutely. It's intentional, I think. Uh, yeah,
2: but, but it, it was one of the things where it wasn't like a line or anything. It was just something small that really just the way I took it, I just thought was hilarious and I, I think that's something in this film that there are a lot of things and that's something that horror comedy has really become known for, at least for me, is there are things that are unintentionally funny and even if they were trying to have things that were not intentional There are things that aren't intentional from that that are funny just because, and and, uh, I'm a fan of it.
1: I think what you're touching on is also one of the reasons why I love the franchise in general, but, like, Ghostface the villain, and I'm not talking about who's behind Ghostface, Mm -hmm. but whenever, because if you keep watching the films, many people end end up being Ghostface, but Ghostface the entity, so to speak, is one of my favorite villains of anything, because that mask itself, first of all, it's like, is such a perfect, uh, I don't know, but... I would say design in that when that comes out of nowhere that is actually terrifying mm-hmm. shit you know just like the design of it whatever but when you're in a calm scene like the Rose McGowan scene I love when she's asking him the question and she's like can I be the helpless victim and he's literally just like yeah just shaking his head up and down and yeah, and like you know it's when, when you see that and like just see the mask like literally bob up and down like it, it turns the horror like on its head and makes it funny even though nothing is different about the situation itself so, I, so that's why I think that's one of the genius- of like the the design of just the simplicity of just the, you know, all black cape, so to speak. So that way there's no real physical uh, attribute to latch on to because A. There's no silhouette. Yes. And B, um, just the mask itself is just a wonderful twofold creation of horror and comedy, much like the, the film itself.
2: Uh, if we can move on uh, towards the we've talked we talked not at length necessarily but we did talk about the, the opening scene and the and the importance in that and how much uh, Nick you 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 did enjoy that and you too as t- Tucson and I obviously did as well because it's a really good opening horror scene but we get a very lengthy scene to end the film which is the thirty minute long party scene uh, which really actually if you if you really want to diagnose it has almost different acts to a single scene, which mm-hmm. is something you don't necessarily get from films. Uh, and uh, I guess I wanted to talk more about it because I feel like it is the major part of this film. And it is where we get almost all of not even like answers. Cause we are not really looking for like huge, big answers in this film, but we get a reveal. We also get other questions answered from plot details that were given earlier on. And we get a finale in this too. And I just feel like, for me, this film goes from being just okay, kind of silly, and okay, whatever to the final scene and I thought that final scene was terrific.
1: The final scene being the final like, set piece? Yeah, the, like the the house. The, yes. The final yeah. act of yeah. the
2: film which involves the, the part of the house. Agree,
1: and I agree not only that like, it, like you said it has separate acts it also has parallel storylines. We're not just following the, the kids in the house we're also following Gail Weathers and um, and her sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh sorry cameraman I thought her and Dewey when, no, they, no, when no. they separate and, camera, yeah, and then of course the, once another act starts then yes yeah, she gets paired off with Dewey uh, That the return of the father as well Sydney's
0: sexual awakening
1: yes which is also another brilliant example of the film both creating tension and also making fun of itself because while uh, I think Jamie Kennedy's character is explaining that Mm. the virgin you know never gets killed and we're seeing uh uh Sydney lose her virginity like the idea of that is both cheeky because it's you know it's it's very true in the sense that you know those are the staples of the horror genre Mm -hmm. but then you're also watching it going no don't have sex with them because then you know by its own rules which it uh, yeah. admittedly both establishes and follows it's like nothing good can come from it now she doesn't end up dying and, no. per- and perhaps this
2: is a, a a an amendment to the rule as if you have sex with the actual killer perhaps it cancels itself man, out he's got yeah, a no. really
0: fucked up life man <laughs> like she like just just taking the long view like out she's like she survived Four encounters with a serial killer. She lost her virginity to a serial killer. She lost her mom to the serial killer that she lost her virginity to. man, she lost to. her
2: virginity to a guy who raped her mother. That's so. what I'm talking about. I'm just like, damn, damn. Sydney. Can Damn. I can I bring something up too uh, that um, my wife wanted me to mention as yeah. she watched this film with me and she was not a fan. That's okay. Uh, and and she uh, she thought we weren't going to have a, this sort of opinion on this film at all. And I, I told her probably we wouldn't. But um, she she took not necessarily a serious view of this film. And I tried to say to her that I, that I feel like that this film is is going for something. Different, it's not trying to have anything. She's like, well, it's trying to have a message though about Nev Campbell's character, and it's really kind of contradicting its own messages, and that was about um the view of Nev Campbell's character as a feminist. And Mm. I know it's a totally different perspective, and I know that this is a genre that isn't really lending itself to that. However, she is a pretty strong character early on in the film, yeah. Who then is expected by a lot of different characters, and there are a lot of dialogue in this film of or you know just get over your grief or why have you given up to him you know we haven't to, been doing that to be and fair then at, at the hold on real, real quickly then towards the end of the film she obviously just decides to give into it and has sex with him and and decides to just have that sort of view on it and uh, Emily just said that that was her opinion on it and the way she saw it. And I'm like, well, I, I don't think that's what the filmmakers necessarily were going for. But she said, well, but that's just the way I saw it. So yeah, uh, that's yeah. I mean, an opinion I mean, that I haven't really ever thought of. But uh, it definitely opened my eyes and it was a I different way of think thinking about what
1: it. I think what do you want to go to something? Yeah. I definitely have a reaction to that opinion. Yeah. But okay. But I think
0: I, – I don't discredit that that reading at all. It's like I think that that's, there's some legitimacy to that reading as well but Mm -hmm. that's not kind of how i took it like Mm -hmm. when we're talking about how we have characters who are telling her to get over and just give it up to him like really like i the first character i think of is billy who is the fucking killer and he's like what is what's wrong with you he's like i lost my mom too i'm just like that's when i have to like step into the film take sydney aside and it's like now sydney something ain't right about that boy (laughs) something ain't right about that boy okay what he just said (laughs) right
2: now you need to leave his ass okay Something he read about him.
0: And if there is, well, well, I need to
2: step if, back if, up. if there has ever been a moment that like was asking to get put into the intro for this show, it was that moment right there. I know.
1: I just feel like Morgan Freeman just walked in here. Now, now Sydney, something ain't right with that boy.
2: No, thank you, Tucson. Because that that is that's going to be a drop for this show. We're going to have that multiple times. So thank you. Well,
1: right. if I could get away from him, uh, whatever that was, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually want to respond to what um, what. Uh, Emily was saying, and okay. I think actually what she's noticing is actually legitimately there. Mm-hmm. However, I think we might read the ending differently because okay. I personally think that misogyny is like running rampant in this film. Yeah, and Nev Campbell's character is basically a force of perseverance all throughout. I mean, she's a person that keeps surviving like attempts on her life where no other character can. And so, I think personally, like I mean, you have a character like even like Randy, which although I think he's, Randy. Yes. Even though he's like um says something that might be, you know, slightly offensive, I also think he's self aware that he's technically just, you know, hanging a lampshade on these tropes. But he literally says in the video story at one point, There's always a reason to kill your girlfriend, you know. Like little things like that that I do think the film is aware of like how it's setting up the typical misogynistic world of like worldview of horror films in general. But then think about how the movie ends. It ends with her surviving all of this she makes the choice to have sex with him she yeah he he does not rape her he does not you know whatever so i think what's actually kind of great is that she controls her agency from start to finish and because of that is also why she survives there's there's
0: two different ways that this could have come about it could have come about in the way that we see it on screen where we see sydney of her own agency and her own desire like choose to engage in this act with her boyfriend, or we could have Wes Craven take two action figures and just smash them together just because she wanted them to. So, yeah, those are two different schools of thought. Did you
1: just like wake up ten minutes ago? Or no. <laughs> no, there's This is just a lot of material coming <laughs> yeah, from you. It's, it's <laughs> terrific. What? Oh, so there's fucking like a fucking fly a, flying around here with that it shit.
2: B at first. Oh, oh. Great. fuck, man. Yeah, no, and, <laughs> I gotta go. Um, you know, I, I know that the, uh, the the filmmakers in Wes Craven and and th- this film. Is, was not going for for high concepts here in, in terms of that and it this is a genre specific and, and even it, it, there it is sort of trying to poke fun at at this genre which is the, this kind of storyline has been played over and over again, and uh, I, you know, I was, I was, I was saying that to Emily and saying what I think that they were, they were going for, but she, you know, she held strong and said that was her, her feelings and how she read it. And oh, yeah. you know, yeah. that's that's the great thing about films is everybody can have an opinion and they and don't most necessarily. Most of them are wrong. wrong. I mean,
1: it's just. <laughs> It was just a joke. Oh, God. What an ass. Yeah. That's all you're either funny. with me or you're against me.
2: Hey, man, that's if there's one thing we've learned about this episode, that we've learned Nick's feelings on that exact statement. <laughs> oh, but seriously, that's true. <laughs> all right, guys. Do we, do we have anything else we want to talk about as a group?
0: Wait, wait, okay. wait. Okay. Shout out to my boy, David Arquette, for Dewey who is the most competent combatant in the entire Scream franchise. He's a total dumbass in the first film. He has a stupid-ass limp in the second film, and then it magically disappears in the third, and it's not even relevant in the fourth, but holy shit, this dude pulls it out every single time. They were going to try and kill his ass at the end of the first film. They left that open. He wasn't breathing in that scene. I actually look back at that, and he was so popular with, with audiences that they just brought him back
1: for the entire franchise. Holy fuck! That they did. Um, You're, you're opening up a door now really quick should we spend a brief moment i don't know if you who here has seen what but just quickly commenting on the franchise as a whole as far as who likes which film. i've
2: never seen two through four let's so, do this knitting. all right well then but, me and tucson will have this conversation but,
1: when it comes to the scream franchise i basically like i, I almost like like something about each one of them differently mm-hmm. so like for me the best sequence in the entire franchise it's undoubtedly the, the opening sequence of scream uh The first film. film. Whereas, like, if I go even specific. Uh, like, the most terrifying sequence for me in the entire franchise comes from number two, which Mm -hmm. is the the cop car when Ghostface is, like, passed out, but is he? And they have to, like, climb over him to get through the window. And it's, like, the tension of that moment, which is, like, the complete absence of horror, because he's just passed out. There's no sound, and that's what makes it so scary. Uh, Which also brings me to my main thought, which is, personally, and I may be in the minority, but I've also heard quite a few say this, but I think Scream 2 is slightly better than the first, personally, in uh, balancing the whole meta gimmick and actual like scares and laughs, um, I think mm. it's it, the idea that it approaches itself as a sequel, which is beautifully set up in even the first film when yeah. there, people reference the fact that there won't be a sequel. You know, which is h- how horror films operate. So for me, like my personal rankings are two, one, four, three. Because like I said earlier, I, I find four to be underrated, and three is so far up its own ass that I, I can watch it, but it's it's not good. It, it fails on being funny and scary and like what what else is the point of uh, scream
0: right yeah for me like i'm almost surprised about how much affection that i have for these films having only rewatched them recently but it's almost like comfort food for me now yeah it's just such a stupid self-aware funny like franchise with different fluctuations like i don't think that any of the films ex- with the exception of maybe one and four are exceptionally good films but I just enjoy them for what they are. Like I guess my ranking now, like given to Letterboxd would be four, one, uh,
2: two and three. So
1: yeah.
2: And there you have it. Yeah. yeah. All right, very well. So yeah, let's go to, go to ratings, I guess. Uh and um Toussaint, why don't you start us off? You are you are the horror resident horror movie uh a fan here, especially Uh, with Kenny not here to give his opinion. So let's let's have you start us off and uh, give your uh, final thoughts on Scream.
0: Okay. Um, I think I've pretty much uh, been as extensive as I can be with my feelings about Scream and the entire Scream franchise as it is. So I'm just going to give my score. My score for Scream 1 is 3 out of 5 stars.
1: Okay, very good. Well, I, I personally, because it's not my favorite Scream, I give it four out of five stars because it's a film I truly do love. I just feel like there's slight room for improvement, which I think the sequel does actually do. So that's why I, I pretty much like I don't want it to be any different or change or whatever. And I like it for what it is, I just acknowledge that, yeah, some of it's a little dated, and sometimes it it feels a little like what it's making fun of, which is not always a good thing, because usually if you're making fun of something, it's because it's somehow inferior, and when you fall into that trap of becoming the thing that you're poking fun at, it's not always successful then as a viewing experience, but for me, it's four out of five stars. Very good. Yeah, for me,
2: um, I'm gonna give the same rating to Santed, which is three out of five. I I did enjoy a lot of what's happening here, especially a lot a lot of moments throughout this film, and, and uh, most notably uh, the the final scene and the final long lengthy final act of the film, really. And um, I, I I just really like a lot of what that part is doing, and a lot of kind of the uh, the reveals. And uh, a lot of the lines and a lot of the small things uh, that get turned on itself in that final scene, especially uh, when we, we find out that there were two, which, uh, you know, when when you watch it afterwards, you're like, oh, yeah, well, there, there were two people who were the, the, the actual ghost face killer. So it makes sense of where they are. But I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like that was a cool thing that was interesting. And also, too, at the end, when uh, Nev Campbell gets a hold of that voice box and pretty much turns that whole thing on its head and is calling them and saying oh whatever this and uh the lines that she says and then she comes out of the closet with the umbrella which is so ridiculous. Uh but still uh that, that was a lot of fun and overall I th- I think this is a this is a good film but uh, again for me it's not a not a classic personally but I I enjoyed it and I would recommend it and uh, it's a 3 out of 5 film for me. Okay. All right. That's that's what we're going with. Very good. Yep. Okay. So, <laughs>
1: I didn't know. Did you want me to say something?
2: No. I I didn't know. You guys were just like sitting here like nodding and I just... We're having a conversation. Oh, okay. Very good.
1: (laughs) I don't know what's going on
2: now. Oh, nobody does. Do do we really? Does anybody actually know what's going on? Mm Mm-mm. Okay, good. I was glad we're on the same page. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh next week's episode we're going to be talking about uh, the new Guillermo del Toro film Crimson Peak. Uh it's going to be uh interesting to see what everyone's opinions on it. I'm assuming this will be a a, a much different film from uh, Scream and a much different uh tone. So, uh, we'll, we'll see how, what everyone's opinions are on it. And if you want to uh, find out about that, uh, or if you have an opinion on, uh, on, uh, the, uh, Crimson Peak film, you can, uh, listen to our next episode on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. Or if you want to give your opinion, uh, you can send it along to filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also, uh, you can find us on Facebook. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show as well. So, from Nick Cheney to Sant Egan, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time.